I was so surprised. I mean, they, I thought the interview went well, but I, I knew of the Japanese system. Hey guys, welcome back to the Kurekana Podcast. So this week we talked to James, who is a fellow Japanese learner. He's uh, studied abroad in Japan, he's lived in Japan and worked in Japan. And so we talk about his experience there, his experience learning Japanese in a professional setting, and also why he decided to leave Japan recently. And of course, guys, this is that time, that time of every video where you guys got to absolutely obliterate the like button. I know James wants you to do it, so we want you to do it too. And with that, hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Yeah, so James, can you give us a quick background of who you are and where you're at today? Sure. Hey, everybody. My name is James. Um, so I lived in Tokyo for three years, did six months um, at Sophia University as a study abroad student. Um, and I worked in quantitative finance. And then uh, now I'm based in New York after leaving during COVID. And uh, yeah, I'm still an, av- an avid Japanese learner. You know, my computer is, is actually stacked on a Genki textbook to show you how committed I am to Japanese learning and this podcast. <laughs> but do you have both Genki textbooks? So the, the reason why I have Genki is because I left it at my parents' house. I didn't take it with me to Japan. And then I took,、oh. I took Genki 2 to Japan just because I like to look at the grammar. And,、uh, and then when I came back, I was like, I have no need for this. And I just donated it to the gods. You know, I just put it in the. The Japanese trash can, and I had hope that maybe, you know, a foreign student was it was in need of a Genki textbook and would pick it up.、Oh, I thought you were going to say you gave it to Bill, but. Oh, <laughs> damn, that would have been better. Well, Bill doesn't need it. Yeah, Bill、textbooks. doesn't need it, though. He, he would have given、yeah. it to someone else. He, he, would have、yeah. the, he would choose the right person, the chosen one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the He's the author,、one. after all. <laughs> <Yeah> . <laughs> But yeah, you said you, so you went over to Japan like initially with a study abroad?、Um, so before I studied abroad in Japan, I did an Asia study abroad actually, where I started learning Japanese, but I didn't feel fully committed to actually going to the country.、Um, actually, I never left the country. So I never left the US except for going to Aruba. You know, on holiday with, with, with my family. So I was like, okay, you know, I want to get a feel of other countries. And this Asia study abroad program sounded so cool where I'd live out of a suitcase,、um, take business classes with the professors that led this backpacking trip. And、uh, yeah, we went, to, we went to over 12 countries, 24 different cities,、um, got to analyze different、um, Company locations, you know, with、uh, going to like Ford factories in Thailand and Cambodia, see how the different、uh, factories were set up and how they would adjust their products to fit the consumer there. And then as I was getting closer to going to Japan, like on that trip, we, we spent a week in Tokyo. I was just so hyped. And then I got there and I was like, oh, like this is like the promised land. And so <laughs> I knew I knew how, I knew how to、uh, rearrange like my courses and my schedule. Um, and then a year later, I went to Sofia. I, I was actually supposed to go to Akita International University,、um, but they received too many applications and they decided not to let me know、uh, at all. So I scrambled and I found Sofia, and I was so grateful because I had such a, I had such a great experience、uh, doing that program. And、uh, yeah, I studied、uh, Japanese. So I did an intensive Japanese、uh, class. Where it was pretty much 40 hours a week. It was 12 credits. And、um, wow. yeah. Like eight and, hours a day. Yeah. So it was, it was、oh, four、man. hours of class and then like four hours of homework. Like, that, like that's how they, they structured it.、I、and、see. so you had like, you had kanji quizzes every day and、uh, it would just build. And the kanji wasn't 
integrated with the grammar points and um, you had to do like a lot of speaking. It was, it was set up really well. Um, I learned so much, but it also felt like just like an army boot camp where, you know, just bonding and misery and fun with all my classmates. And I felt so bad for the other classmates because the, it was all in Japanese, but the rare chance that we had with the textbooks, the textbooks were in English. And so you had people from Malaysia, f France and Germany, and they had to rely on their other language as, right. as like their only crutch. Right. And I was like, wow, that's, that's so impressive. Like, you know, being an American and you have Americans who are mostly monolingual. And then you had these, you know, these trilingual people trying to, you know, keep their head above water, possibly exceeding me on tests. And I'm just trying to do Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that always was, was so much fun just to have that, uh, you know, that like community where like, okay, we're in this together. We're going to learn Japanese together. It was like this intensive program. I took another class where, it was Japanese history. It was taught in English, so I, at least I could get I could get a break. And so, so that was like a year that you were there. So I was there for six months, and then I um, I flew back to my school, um, did six months, so my last semester of senior year, and then I graduated, and then I came back to Japan because I got a job offer when I was um, studying abroad. So I got a job right. offer and I was like, yes, you know, I can continue being here and continue living this dream. So, yeah. So how, how good were, was your Japanese? If you remember like during those milestones, like Biff, like maybe like just when you arrived in Japan for your study abroad mm -hmm. and then by the time you left and then by the time you were like interviewing with like Japanese companies. Yeah. So I'm sure with what you guys can also relate is when you start a Japanese language class or you start learning Japanese, you feel like your Japanese is very good, you know, citing like the Don, what is it, Don Kruger effect where you learn a little yeah. bit and you feel like you're like, okay, I got everything. Like I got all the pieces. So I did, um, so I did three classes of Japanese in buildup before the study abroad. So it was like beginner one Japanese, beginner two, and then intermediate. And of course, the beginner one class was just hiragana, katakana, uh, some very basic uh, grammar. And I learned that maybe I wasn't as good as I thought I was. So I would say after the three classes, I was maybe like uh, N4, maybe between N5 and N4. And then I, and then to get into the intensive class, you have to be able to at least have N3 because it's only in Japanese. So you had to take like a placement test. Um, I pat, I wanted to get into a higher one, but I think, I thank God every day that I wasn't in the higher one because I would have failed out. Um, because the intense, the intensive one, whereas it started low, it built so quickly where you needed at least, I think five to 600 kanji, um, to be able to read and write. And then you ended at like 1200 in six months. Oh, and wow. so like, that's on top of learning like grammar points and your listening ability and writing, um, so it scaled quickly. And then I think um, at the end of the program, I was, so after the six months, I was, I would say maybe somewhere between N, N2, N3-ish, I would say, because there were grammar points and there were kanji that we learned that were not, you know, associated with the end, with the JLPT test. So it was more yeah. like you learned a lot of like niche vocabulary at times. But you were um, comfortable like, having most conversations at that point yeah so i so the class was only japanese if you needed to use english you you had like um you had to like raise your hand a certain way and you had like one or two 
chances yeah. to use that per class. So it was very limited. Um, Wait, so you said you were uh, a quant? Yeah, so I so th there was like a few like job fairs at the at the university, um, and a lot of them were English, Japanese based, and so Sophia didn't really have such a strong business program, and like all of my uh, study abroad students that I was with, they weren't really business majors either. They were more like liberal arts or um, maybe like communications, and so um, I found like this. I found like a few companies who were very focused on business uh, and technology. And I, I was I was interested, so I I sent my I just I spoke to them a bit, and then I learned more about the company, and then I just gave them my I gave them my resume, and um, it, the one of the companies that I wasn't sure if I wanted to work for ended up giving me the, the only interview. So I applied for like four companies, um, a lot of them were big, like Panasonic, Sony, um, and then this small company that is in uh, is near like Yotsia Station, and so. Um, I, I applied there and then I got a call back and then I went there and they gave me the job on the first uh, interview, but I was, I was so surprised. I mean, they, I thought the interview went well, but I, I, I knew of the Japanese system that like, okay, you gotta go, go you gotta go through like five to six people. Right. But, right. and so, but one of the questions I asked is, you know, I'm interested to work in Japan, but I'm a little bit hesitant to work for a Japanese company. And the CEO who was Korean, he had he had rest assured to me that, you know, we're more like internationally thinking. We we have flexible hours at times. Um, and so that really sparked my interest as well, because it was the, it was the um, it was the kind of business I wanted to do it was the environment I wanted to do. I didn't want to do a lot of overtime and, uh, you know, be viewed uh, with the same mindset uh, that's under like a Japanese business where, you know, it's not about the quality of work, but it's more about you always showing up and being like being your best self there. Um, so I, I was offered the job and then I was so nervous because I was like, oh, can I just trust to move myself here that I said, oh, can I do an internship before I leave? So I did a week internship, uh, like the last week that I was in Japan with them and I just loved it. Um, like the first, the first meeting I had, it was like a merger and acquisition deal um, with a U.S. company that was interested in buying a Japanese company, and I helped translate that. It was the first time I ever did anything like that, so I was throwing out vocab words that I, I knew at the back of my head to try to make sense. Like instead of saying like the word to acquire a company, I said to purchase a company, which you know is very different, but it, it, it got the job done essentially for the meeting. And uh, I was like, I was, I was, after that, I was questioning like, oh, am I capable for this? Is my Japanese good enough? Am, am I ready to take this on? And so I went back um, after, after the one week internship and I did six months at my university. And I was so nervous. I was like, am I ready for this big move? You know, like a lot of times we ask for things, you know, we, we, you know, we dream of doing things. And then when we're given the opportunity of it, you know, a lot, of, I don't know, I feel like for myself, sometimes like, do I deserve this? Am I capable of, you know, achieving this or getting to this place? So, so like after that, you worked there, um, right? Mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. So, so what was like the whole experience of like working in Japan, like the work culture that you experienced? Yeah. So I, I graduated and then I moved to Japan and then I wor I worked like two days later. So I, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I, mo I moved into a new apartment and I worked two days later and, um, I found the work culture very interesting at first. Like everything was brand new, how people conducted uh, like 
like meetings and communicate and uh, and like communicated and the, like the salary payment was just all so interesting. So for example, in Japan, a requirement is you have to log what hours you work. So when you come in for the day, you have to say what time you came in and what time you left. And this was a new regulation that was implemented to curve, you know, uh, overtime, so that they could track. Okay, the, you know, this guy worked from nine nine a.m. to six thirty p.m. And so I, I learned that every company does this. At first, I thought it was my own company, but so every company I had met some people who worked at Coca Cola and Toyota, and they all do the same thing. So. Um, so it seems like there's like a, a nationwide thing for they do that.、Um, another thing that、I、learned is like you, you lose a lot of in, individuality when you work in a company in Japan,、um, whereas like you're kind of viewed as like the collective and not on your own performance. So,、um, so to give some background on my job,、um, I would meet with like、uh, foreign exchange traders, so、uh, traders、uh, who worked at Japanese banks, so at like a Mitsubishi or a Sumitomo Ginko. And、um, we would go over trading strategies. So the the firm I worked for was a platform that allowed for these traders to design like their own Python trading、uh, queries and stuff. And so、uh, I would I would meet with them. So I was pretty much like a relationship manager at times. I was a salesperson. I would offer them new products.、Um, and then we also had this this crypto business where we were taking the the FX the foreign exchange business and then converting it with Bitcoin and Ethereum、uh, to those kind of traders. And so I was going to like cryptocurrency conferences in Tokyo and Yokohama and. And then a year later, we developed. We were working with、um, an engineer who was、um, building the supercharge、uh, technology that allowed for a device such as like an iPhone or a computer to be charged ten times fast. So if if an iPhone that required、uh, two hours until full charge, it was able to do it in like twenty minutes. Wow! Well, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty wild.、Um, but. Yeah, so the whole job itself was like in Japanese, I'm assuming, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, so、um, everybody there only spoke Japanese、um, as like the common work language. So the company was 50 people total. We had we have some people in other countries, but in the Japan office, it was 50 people. That was like the headquarters, and so we had maybe a third Japanese, a third Korean, and then a third Chinese, and I was the only white guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so I. And so the reason why I, I speak this way is that because the communities in the company were, were were kind of like a collective in that manner, where you had the Koreans who would always go to lunch together, you had you had the Chinese group who would always go to lunch together, and they they were given the benefit of being able to talk in their own native language to each other. If they were in a meeting and it was only Korean people, then they were、right. essentially allowed to speak Korean to each other because. You know, there's no one there who wouldn't understand. So I never really had the ability to be like, "Hey guys, like, let's just speak English for the day." So I found that speaking my Japanese improved a lot. I would say like the same in the intensive program, but a lot of times at work, maybe you guys can attest to this, is that a lot of times you're, you're just at your computer, right, on Excel or Word, and you're not really speaking for like three to four hours. I would say、right. at times,、mm-hmm. and I felt that like my Japanese would have to like start and stop a lot, where I would. Be at my desk, and then I'd be drawn to a meeting, and I have to use Japanese at a high level. And if I made a mistake, then it would be like a negative look on my reputation. Like, oh, can James do this? And I, and so I think at times that was a struggle in the beginning, where、uh, 
yeah, you work eight hours a day and then like one meeting is like the only time you'd really have a, like a, a main speaking uh, portion of it where you got to speak for like 30 minutes straight. And I did speak a lot at, like at lunch and like with like my desk mates. But another part of the Japanese uh, business culture is that you don't really talk amongst the group unless you're talking about work. So I, would, I wouldn't arrive to work and be like, oh, how was your day? How was your weekend? Uh, you know, like, oh, like, oh, did you see the Yankees game? You know, the, you know, like the Tokyo Giants. There wasn't a lot of that. So it seemed like there were a lot of barriers with all the different、mm-hmm. colleagues. Like, you know, we were there to work. And to focus mostly on work. Whereas, like, I would try to spice it up and try to make small talk, but then it would look like I wasn't really working at times. I see. I, I guess,、uh, I mean, that's a really interesting dynamic <laughs> that you have over there. I mean, <laughs> I, I guess when people are kind of looking in and thinking about Japanese companies, of course, you had a really unique situation in and of itself, but. I think there are still a lot of similarities there between Japanese companies and, and what you went through too, right? Yeah. So when I, when, I, when I had the expectations to work there, I thought it was like a fully American company, you know, Silicon Valley esque. It was, it, was it was like a mix between a startup and a small company. It was like 50 people. We always felt like we were chasing like the next sale or the next big business. And that was a really cool feeling. But at, the longer I worked there, I realized that I was giving a little bit of treatment of being an American. Like, okay, he's an American. You know, we should really lean on this like flexibility and like, you know, being more casual. And then it seemed like over time I was given less of the grace. And, and as Japanese collective mindset is to be part of the community and not the nail that stuck up. So, like, a lot of times I was, my, my Japanese was being judged at like the native level or the, The Korean and Chinese groups had lived there for 20 years. So it'd be like, oh, if James didn't know what foreign exchange was in Japanese, then you know, we'd look down on him. And so、um, there was kind of like a slow build to that. But I was, I was very grateful though that it wasn't just like a black company, which is known in Japan as like, you know, they kind of use you, it's kind of like a bait and switch.、Right. Um, so, but I did get to experience a lot of the Japanese business culture. From my company and then working with the customer. So, a lot of times,、uh, take the customers out for drinks and we would go to like a nomikai. And, you know, a lot of the conversation I could really absorb, like what it really meant to work at a Japanese company, where a lot of Japanese companies, it's more of like, I would say, like a fraternity in a way, where, you know, every, all the university students, they rushed in the beginning, right? You know, they want to be part of this. Yeah, right. There's hazing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is a great way to put it. Yeah. So there's a haze in the beginning where you're expected to do a ton of overtime and you're not, you don't really get a particular job. And so I know this more from talking to my Japanese friends more, where, you know, they work for like a Honda. And I'm like, what do you do at Honda? And she's like, oh, I kind of just work like a hundred different jobs. Like I just rotate. I don't really have a position name. And she's like, yeah, I'm expected to work there for like the rest of my life. And <laughs> so she felt like very comfortable. Like that, like to her, that was so normal. Where, you know, she didn't even consider working at other places and,、um, you know, like moving up in the company or like the impact of her role in the business. Like to her, Being in the company was the achievement of itself, like having that name brand,、right. I would say. Right. And yeah, I mean, one thing I was surprised like, to learn was that when you get accepted to a company in Japan, you get like a 
like a certificate. Yeah. Like, like Naite. And it's like this, like, gra- <laughs> it looks like a graduation certificate. And, and then it's like, right. someone, my friend showed me, I'm like, what? You get, you get something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was visiting a, a customer and they had it on their, they had it like on their wall in the company. So like, it'd yeah. be like 1998, you know, accepted. And yeah. like, yeah, it's 2018 and this guy still has it. Like, I don't know if he was at the same desk. I don't know if he was moving around yeah. different offices. And uh, like a lot of the times when I go out to drinks with them, like they never considered working for another company where I think in America, it's more common to be like, okay, I've been here for six months. You know, I'm already chasing yeah. like the next check, right? Yeah, it's already changing your LinkedIn status. Yeah. Open to work. Like already open to work CEO. Yeah. And I, and I find that there's a lot of contradictions where, you know, Japanese people are known to work very hard and, you know, they want this high reputation, but that, but achieving that comes in different situations. So working at Honda, you know, that's your reputation. It's not, it's not like, it's not like you're the CEO, but you're still in the same boat. Like you're working for a very, you know, po- like well-known company and it's the same with the hours. So like you would have, um, a Japanese people, And then I would also include the people that I work with. You have people who would lean on working longer hours, even if they didn't accomplish anything, just like just to show the physical part that they were there, right? That they were there working hard, even if the guy was falling asleep between the hours of two to three. I, I've seen so many times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if he and it was always like it was always this this game, like who like who would leave first? So it hit so like you had to be in the office from nine to six. And you, you couldn't really go home early unless you made like a, unless you made like a request. And when it hit six, nobody wanted to be the first one to go. So you would have people like eye, eye in each other. And so, you know, it'd be like 30 minutes go by, nobody left. 40 minutes, nobody left. An hour goes by, nobody left. So then it would always come down to like the same five people where it'd be like, you know, this guy's going to take his turn, but there was no communication. So it'd be like some kind of like rotation where like this guy would go one time and then next time the guy would go. Right. It would just be like the strangest thing where people would just Musical work. Chairs. Like no one's really working. Like it's past 6.30. I'm sure people are just buying time. And so, and then I left once. So one time I was the first person to leave. Uh-huh. And then I forgot something. So I, I had the luxury of living close. So I walked back to work It was maybe 7.30, 8 o'clock and everybody was gone. So it, a lot of times it's like the presentation that you're working hard, unfortunately. And where, you know, whereas like people, you know, in, at least in America yeah. value like what you can bring to the table. Like, you know, like Eric, I don't, yeah, Eric, I don't care if you were here for all hours a day. You, you know, you have to make that sale. <laughs> and yeah. so the Japanese perspective is, is like the opposite. I mean, I, I can imagine that it's like kind of, Um, rewarding um, to be like in kind of in that position because it's like you have your your class that you come in with and you're all in the same like group and you get haze together you're working hard together and you all yeah. know like you're gonna stay here for like 40 years so it's like you have like this incredible like rapport and and bonding with everybody mm-hmm. so in yeah. a way it's kind of inspiring but and yeah. and yeah i mean that is a great point and what's surprising is that a lot of couples come from work So like you'd be in the same class or you'd be like a next class over and a lot of marriages would come from that. Like I have half of my friends who are dating someone because they're in the organization, either in the same class or around the same age. And I find that so surprising because you'd feel like, okay, Japanese people, they want to focus solely on work 
and yeah, you, know, you know, which they do, but because they're there and it's more of their life, it actually becomes you know more of a blend of the personal and like the corporate life. I would say. Right. Yeah, um, as long as they have like a good balance. Yeah,、um, I don't. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I don't really know how that balance was. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they don't balance like um, like the in terms of like gender, but in Western companies, they definitely do try to hit like certain quotas. Oh yeah, like, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Like the best like, way because like even like college applications in Japan, it's like pure merit, where they don't even look at anything except your test scores, right? Right. And, and so I heard like I'm not sure it's true, but I heard like Todai's like um. Like proportion is like super skewed to like males, like ninety percent males or something. Oh, interesting. I mean, what's in, so what's surprising with that though is that you're required to put your headshot on your resume. So when you apply, you have、oh. to have a picture of yourself. And so, like to me, I would think that that would improve. I think maybe diversity. But、Probably. the way I look at the Japanese business world, it's like America in the '80s or you know '70s. Where you know they're they're like a few decades back, unfortunately, but you still have a lot of movements with you know with like women,、um, where the, there's a popular woman who's like advocating that you know you can wear sneakers to work because there's a lot of dress code policies for women、Damn. that are strictly only for women that you have to wear a skirt and like a dress shirt and like a blazer and they have to like stick to that.、Um, so she's kind of advocating for this change, and you'd be like, oh, this change you know happened in America maybe like 50 years ago. And we're right. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and、uh, I totally saw a lot of the like the gender roles in the workplace. So like when so when we had a meeting, a lot of the women were supposed to be like the secretary, and so like we would have like a woman who's head of sales, but she would be the automatic like taking the notes for the meeting or getting people coffee.、And、I'm like this girl. I mean, sorry. Like this, this woman is bringing like a hundred thousand dollars a year in sales, like more than the more than the male counterpart. But she's being viewed in this, you know, slightly negative way. And a lot of the business managers would start the meetings by talking to the women, like, oh, like, oh, I like your shoes, I like your makeup, like you look cute today. And I, and I just, I, and to me, that was more of like a surprise. Like, oh, I thought it would be more strictly business, you know, like let's just focus on work. But a lot of the roles were, I think. I think like revealed about the society,、um, I guess in that lens, right? Yeah, yeah. And I guess like kind of going back to like the Japanese, how how good would you, would you say like your Japanese got、um, through like all that and working at the company? So I would say it wasn't N one, but it was N two plus the business. So it'd be like I knew all the business terms because I would have to always use them. And those business terms would be on like that kanji test. You know, it'd be like foreign exchange, commodities, stock,、um, a lot of the trading algorithms names, like the computer program names. And so I just focused on that. So in the beginning, I was like, okay, I got to do JLPT, I got to do business, and I just was burning out. I wasn't remembering too much. So I said, okay, I'll focus on work, and then I'll get the JLPT later. And I intended to go for the JLPT, but then COVID happened. And they closed all the sites, so I was like, "Oh, what am I going to do? I can't get the certificate."、Um, but then it turned out that a lot of companies didn't really need it at a certain point. I think if you're a foreigner for whatever reason, they always require it to a certain extent. Like it's like, "Oh, you know, we're in this interview. We're speaking Japanese, talking about my strengths and weaknesses, my my work experience." But James, I see you don't have this JLBT、uh, <laughs> credential, <laughs> and I'm just be like, "Well, you know." 
I think you should just judge our conversation and not on some standardized test. And I think it went that way a lot of the times, but it was difficult to get my foot in the door if I didn't have that test. Because I think a lot of them, they just use it as a screener because I don't know how many foreigners would apply to these Japanese positions. Maybe they think their Japanese is really good. Maybe it's like N3 level at least. And then they don't, you know, maybe they don't do well in the interview. So it kind of like started this trend, I think. Right. I see. And I, so I guess like in terms of like, um, being able to express yourself or like presentations, you think? Uh, yes. Pretty used to that. That was so hard. So for me, the easiest part of the job was with with customers because I feel like the customer was very lenient. So like I could explain things like okay, like you know, like the U.S. dollar is down. We recommend the trade the Japanese yen against the Australian currency, and then I would talk about the movement in the market and the updates in our product and. I think I kind of mastered that, and then when we started to dive into new areas of business, I would need like a little bit of a catch up. Like, okay, how do you say cryptocurrency in Japanese? And you know, I would have to figure this out. I wouldn't be able to really, just, you know, I would hear it, but then I would be like, okay, like I have, I kind of have to do like a lot more research on my own to right. to be able to catch up to people. And so that was hard with with the business that I was in. We were constantly changing. Um, our direction. Like one time, we were in payments where we were talking to Family Mart and、uh, like KFC and Subway about introducing a payment platform. And like I remember the night before, I stayed up to like 3 a.m. just like just like on different websites, understanding how payments work and getting all the vocabulary. So it, it's interesting because I don't even know what. I don't even know if I am N one. I haven't really taken the practice test. I've kind of just like been in this business world where. You know, I know all these terms, but like, on what level do they exist on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I feel like the test is pretty arbitrary. Like, I passed in one, but I don't think I could talk about like, oh, like how the U.S. dollar is down compared to like other currencies or stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, it's it seems like a very difficult test in the way that it has like a specific、um, like focus, like, and you you can't fail like a certain amount.、Um, I haven't really focused too much on the test. Um, like my whole thing has just been like overall study, but it seems like the JLPT is great for like having a course because I think as like language learners, you know, we kind of just like open up to this brand new world. And if if and maybe you guys are the same way. Like if I had gone for like okay, first year Japanese, I'll just aim for N five, and then and the next year do N four and N three. I think I would have been so much better off than where I am now because it would have given like a consistent structure. But you know, I'm looking back at those. One through three years, and I'm like, how much did I really learn vocab-wise and kanji and grammar? And I think it it would have been so much better to have like a structured plan, which I think the JLPT offers, you know, as a huge benefit. Right. And I guess now though, we've kind of been building up Japan as the promised land, and you've been here for <laughs> quite some time, right? But what what kind of led you to going away from Japan? What was the reason you you left? Catalyst. The catalyst. Yeah. The catalyst. Yeah. So I'm sure maybe like with you and a lot of listeners, it's like why did you leave Japan? It's like you know it's like the promised lands, the dream country. What like what went wrong? And I think、uh, you know from being an, an avid listener of this podcast, sometimes you hear people say that you know they miss home. It wasn't what they thought it would be from anime. <laughs> or you know they really didn't feel like they fit in. I felt like me, I was kind of the exception where I had a lot of like、um, external things that weren't really a part of the country. Like with COVID,、um, I started to not like my job as much.、Um, I had missed my family because I was so interested to go to Japan. 
with the study abroads and different things that I realized I didn't really spend a lot of time with them. So it kind of like built up where I was like, okay, um, it's, it's, um, it's like July and I can't leave the country and come back. You know, like what, like, un unfortunately that's the circumstance. Like I'm not blaming the country, but I was like, okay, maybe it's just best for me to go home and spend time with my family. I don't know how COVID is going to last. And I was like, if I get COVID in Japan, you know, how, how deadly is it going to be for me? Like, what's that experience? So I was just like, all right, I'm going to take the, the road with less risk. And it wasn't like I was able to hang out with my friends and do a lot during COVID because everybody was social distancing. Um, you know, a lot of things were closed and reopened. It was like Japan every week was undecided if they were going to close every store or have a nomikai with the whole country. <laughs> it, it was just craziness where they were like, okay, we're going to keep the country locked, but we're going to give yeah. everyone discounts on traveling. So I, I got to yeah. save like $500 on the Shinkansen because of this campaign. I was just so confused. Like, okay, I can't leave the country, but I can travel <laughs> around the world in Japan. <laughs> So I, so my goal one day is to go back. You know, I, I wanted to get more of a taste of the American work culture. So I had a comparison uh, because when I was working in Japan, I was like, what even is American work culture? Um, because I had interned, but you know, a lot of times that's not really what it's like being a full-time person. So my, my goal is to work in America for a few years and then kind of like start setting my aim back to Japan, maybe work there for a few years maybe do like a 50-50 right. kind of uh, interest. So, I mean, like, I think the longer I lived there, the longer I learned that there were more cons and it didn't make, it didn't make me like the less, didn't, sorry, it didn't make me like the country less, but it made me realize like, okay, Japan's a country just like any other place. Um, of course, we highlight it in the beginning because we see a lot of the, we see a lot of the benefits, right? We, you know, we get to see all the sparkly new things. And then when you're there for a while, you know, it does a little bit, but I've, I've known a lot of people that have, are still living there 10, 20 years and the shine is still relatively there. And, you know, I think everyone's just different. Like if you go into traveling to Japan because your your base is on anime or it's on certain pop culture things, then I think a lot of times you're going to be left disappointed because when I, maybe it's the same with you, where I wasn't really looking up what the real Japan was or like the real structure of Japan was like we know all these stereotypes of the maid cafes and like the funny English and the beautiful scenery but it's like okay if I work there how much tax am I going to get paid out how many times do I have to renew my visa um oh the Japanese government sent me a thing in the mail that I needed to pay 2,000 yen to the pension because they thought I was still in Japan when I was in America so it's just like a lot of these a lot of these real world things pop up and you have to understand before you go like, okay, like at what level am I going to deal with like as much real world things before I can like, you know, not think of it as a great place anymore. I see. Yeah. I mean, hopefully we get the return to Japan for James here. <laughs> <laughs> Comment down below if you want to see James back in Japan or yeah, I mean, maybe we just decide your fate on if you go to Japan or not in the comments section. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So make sure to smash that like button. If it's over 1500 likes, I'm going back to Japan in three years. All right. All right. <laughs> and if he's if it's not, he's not allowed. To go yeah. To yeah if it's not. 
<laughs> if it's not, then I, I can't leave. I can't leave America. I'll burn my passport on on the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys, you got to make sure for James' sake that you, you do this for him. It, it, if James goes to Japan right now as it stands he's gonna go to the gonna go to the border immigration and they're gonna look at his passport and then they're gonna be like hey can i see your phone real quick and they're gonna go check this video, check the video and they're gonna see and then he's gonna get arrested. Yeah, he's gonna get arrested and you know how how you don't want to be in japanese prison you don't want to yeah. be in japanese it's not prison. fun yeah yeah but... I've, I've seen the horror stories of that <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't of, of course be. not firsthand. Of course not firsthand. Oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> this must be Korekara after dark right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but guys, again, if you if you've seen our one of our previous podcasts, the Tokini Andy one, you may have seen that if you do want to get into Japan, though, it, you're required to go have watched every single Korekara podcast episode. It's it's not it's not it's, this is a requirement you're, you're gonna go there you're gonna look at look at your phone see the red bars all the way at the end and they see it and you go stamp you're in you know but if not <laughs> if not i don't know guys you, you you might be in for a rude awakening so just just a heads up just a heads up but, yeah i mean personally korakara podcast is my favorite podcast of all time hey. i've watched i think every episode Let's go. Hey. <laughs> Yo. You love to see it. You love to see it. And I mean, speaking of that, I mean, you've watched every single episode, James. So that means you know what's, you coming, know what's coming. You know you know what's coming. <laughs> I, I know you've been preparing for this for quite some time. Ever since you watched the first episode multiple times, you know. <laughs> ever since then and every other episode, I know you've been concocting this, concro- <laughs> creating the best possible message to say right here to get you all those likes to send you back to japan so james i'm gonna put you on the spot right here put you back on the spot for potentially going back to japan what is your message to the korekara squad so i think my message is the japanese uh, proverb where it's like even dust can build a mountain it's like chirimotsu moreba where it's just like you know i think what it comes to language learning is that everyone just wants to be n1 right and how many months how many days can we get to n1 but no one's like oh if we get to n1 what's the plan next and a lot of a lot of those people burn out unfortunately and i think that if, if we just do a little bit every day with either japanese learning or whatever we do you'll you'll be so surprised with what you can accomplish because Time moves so much faster than we think, especially as we get older. And I think that, you know, a lot of times we just we just don't think of these small steps and we just focus of these bigger goals. But a lot of our dreams can be accomplished if we think of these dreams into like sub dreams where we can just knock out point after point, maintain motivation, and then you will be surprised at how close your dream is. That was super inspirational, James. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I, I can really see the time you put in for that. <laughs> the time you put in Thank for you. that quote I got a message. You gotta you gotta give it up for James here. <laughs> I'd like to thank the Academy. <laughs> oh <laughs> We got the whole award speech here. Let's get it. <laughs> oh but, and second, pitch pa- uh, pitch accent is not important in my opinion. 
<laughs> all right all right yeah let us know what you guys think of that in the comments but, yeah. Yeah, sounds pretty yeah. aggressive let us know what you guys think of that yeah i'm i'm, I'm just ready to be canceled <laughs> all right guys let's see what happens in the comments will james get canceled or will he get sent back to japan or will he get sent back to japan because he got canceled who knows <laughs> we'll see what happens we'll see what happens but with that james it's been a pleasure appreciate you coming on the show today it's been fun man yeah i mean thank you so much for having me this is a real dream come true you'd love to see it you love to see it (laughs) hey guys thanks for making to end the podcast comment down below if you smash the like button this is a test this is a test guys very important but you know what else is important our patrons and we got cedric frost kevin tasme alan card drew jack Jeanette, joey kh90 meredith mksxn nathan polars jack and yui and sad boy 